When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What sounds like fun to me with a task that for a lot of moms, I think, is more associated with drudgery, feeding our families. Like, how can we bring some levity and joy and spontaneity back to this? It's such a central thing in family life. We have to eat. So, like, how can we bring a little bit of joy back to it? Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding kids. Hello, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. We are back in the swing of all things Didn't I Just Feed You? So we want to remind you guys that we have an annual listener survey happening right now. It's going to be up until the end of January. You can find the link to take that survey at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash links. Or if you're already part of our free listeners community, you'll find it there too. It also happens to be the best place on earth. So why aren't you there? But this survey is the way to tell us more about what you want. What do you love about Didn't I Just Feed You? What you would love for us to tackle or I don't know, provide, talk about, whatever. There's so many questions we want to hear from you so that we can make Didn't I Just Feed You exactly what you want it to be. Y'all, I'm not trying to be a tease, but we are also working on a really amazing meal planning tool that we cannot wait to share with you. If you want to be in the know, go to that website, didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash links and sign up for our newsletter there. That way you'll be the first to know. Yes. Oh, all so about excited. it. I want to start talking about it. Okay, fine. Fine. <laughs> okay. To shut me up, we better get to this interview because it is such a yes. good one. <laughs> Today, we're taking that new year decluttering energy, and instead of applying it to your closet or your pantry, we're tackling the mental load of feeding our families. So we are joined by our friend, Rachel Nielsen. She's the host of 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and she has this great system for thinking about how to kind of declutter your motherhood in general, and she's going to share some principles with us, and then... Once Rachel leaves the conversation, we're going to talk specifically about how you can apply her principles, not just to these broad ideas about feeding your family, which are so useful and the perfect place to start. But then we're going to drill a little bit deeper and talk about it practically as it relates to meal planning. Yes, you know I'm excited about talking about meal planning. Because I identify as a meal planner, uh, but I know that you also don't. So it's going to be a really good exercise you know what's so funny? for us. I have not said this in a lot of <laughs> episodes over like several years now. Somehow, like five years ago, Megan, you were like, I'm the meal planner. And I was like, I'm the meal prepper. But in actuality, yes. that has worked for us because that's where our passions lie. But in actuality, I need to tell you that for like literally the last four years, I meal plan almost every single week. <laughs> like, <laughs> I totally meal plan. 
I just don't have the same kind of passion for it. Like there's some like I get why it's hard for some people, but I I meal plan every single week. This is very useful information to have now. Four <laughs> years later, I haven't I haven't wanted to like break with our, you know what I mean? Like partnerships work with like divide and conquer and like yin and yang. I haven't wanted to, I haven't wanted to break it. <laughs> we are gonna have to digest this, possibly as a subscriber episode oh, or something. That's a good one. Maybe in like couples partnership therapy, something. <laughs> There's so much here, but I want to get right into our conversation. It's such a good one, you guys. And it really is like, in my mind, the place to start. Yes. So Rachel Nielsen is the host of 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, a podcast that gives moms three actionable takeaways to help them know and take care of their needs and then take care of their families too. Rachel also hosts Declutter Your Motherhood audio courses where she helps busy parents beat overwhelm and burn out for good. Okay, Rachel, this idea you shared with us that busy parents can declutter the mental load of feeding their families is super exciting. We've definitely talked about mental load as it relates to feeding families, and we've also talked about decluttering spaces like kitchen pantries. Um, but talk to us a little bit about how you came to this idea and this process. Yeah. So I have a really good friend who's a professional organizer, and she came to my home and helped me do my entire home, which was the best gift ever and so much fun. And while we were decluttering my physical spaces, it just dawned on me that the same process she was teaching me for a physical space could work in a mental space. And so all of the shoulds that I carry around and the mom guilt that I sometimes feel, that's essentially mental clutter. And I can go through it in a very similar way as I would my physical possessions in a cluttered closet and sort of hold each one of my shoulds and decide whether or not it fits me, whether or not I don't want to keep it, whether or not it sparks joy for me, like to use a Marie Kondoism, and sort of like consciously let those things go in a way that feels almost as much of a release as letting go of like a sweater that doesn't fit me anymore. And so I developed this process for moms, I call it declutter your motherhood. Today, we're going to talk about it specifically with feeding your family of how do I go through all of my shoulds and let them go if they don't fit me anymore? Oh, so smart. Does it include finding a way to physically take feelings we want to get rid of and like up or like it, yeah. take them to the Salvation Army. Write yeah. them down and Here. burn them. Here, yes. go. I mean, wouldn't it be so wonderful if it was as yes. easy as that? Like, And I do sort of, I have a full course on this. And in that course, I go into like, it's not as simple as being like, well, this doesn't work for me anymore. So I'm just going to let go of this should and I'm just going to toss it in the garbage. Like yeah. it, it takes a little bit more inner work and sort of working through why you have that belief, where it came from, Mm -hmm. how you can let it go. It's not as easy, unfortunately, as just taking it to a donation center. But it's still possible to do that kind of inner work to let some of this stuff go. Yeah, love that. Well, can you talk us through this process, someone who might want to apply it to how they feed their families, what the the steps are, and then like how you practically apply it? Yes, absolutely. So I sort of boiled it down to three steps. 
um, first you have to inventory what's even in your closet. In this case, in your mental closet around feeding, what's in there. My friend had me take everything out of my closet when we were organizing it. And I felt like, why would we do that? Why can't we just thumb through the stuff that's in here and toss stuff, you know? And she's Mm -hmm. like, no, you need to take it all out so you can really see what you have. And then it's just so much more of an intentional decision of what deserves to be in there when you're deciding what to put back in. So the first step is to inventory, get a really good sense of what's even in there. The second step is to edit, to go through all of those possessions, decide what stays and what goes. And then the last step is the fun step, and that's to make room for more joy. You know, with my physical decluttering, after my friend left, I only had about three or four, literally like three or four shirts left that I that I really loved. I totally get that. Yeah. My closet was very I empty. It. And mm-hmm. it just helped me to see that, oh, there's room here for me to add clothes that I love, that fit mm-hmm. me, that are my style. So decluttering isn't just about getting rid of stuff and having minimal of everything. It can also be about curating a wardrobe that you really love that really feels like you. And that can be similar to curating a life that you really love. Once you get rid of all the crap that doesn't really fit you, you're like, whoa, all of a sudden I have room here to add more joy. So those steps are inventory, edit, and make room for joy. And I can walk you through kind of how that would apply to feeding if you would like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so the inventory thing I think is really interesting. Like when we talk about decluttering a pantry, it, it is like you're pulling all the things out and you're maybe making a physical list of what you have. And then editing is easy because you can be like, oh, this is expired or like I know someone else who can use this better. But it's hard when we're talking about the inner work to know how to inventory and edit. Yeah. yeah, I also feel like with inventory, it, it requires a lot of self-awareness that I think is very hard and deep emotional work when mm. it comes to food mm-hmm. because it requires us to think about our own relationship with food. And sometimes like we just want to avoid that or we don't want to go there or that for some of us, <laughs> maybe that requires like deeper, longer term work. So like what's the immediate we can do? So that we can think about like how to feed our family and like on a parallel track with maybe doing some food healing for ourselves or some body healing because those things are kind of related. So I'm curious also like Megan to like dig into inventory Mm -hmm. and like what that looks like practically when it comes to feeding a family in your eyes. Yeah. So what I would do for that step is to simply sit down, set aside 30 minutes, sit down and make a giant brain dump of everything that is currently residing in that brain of yours about what it, how a good mom feeds her family. And so you may write that at the top, like how a good mom, quote unquote, feeds her family and just start writing down everything that comes to mind for you. Even if like you rationally know that some of this stuff isn't legit, it's still in your inner closet. It's still bugging you and nagging at you because somewhere along the line, you inherited a belief from somewhere about, you know, different. So there might be different things like maybe you believe subconsciously that a good mom makes homemade meals, 
that a good mom avoids certain foods or sugar or processed mm-hmm. foods or whatever because they're, quote, bad. So maybe you're asking yourself, like, what foods do I think are bad and why? You know, what's my expectation around food and meals being homemade and why? I mean, and first, if you don't even want to get into the why yet, just make your big list first. You know, is it because <laughs> the why gets a little deeper. So maybe it's like a good mom feeds her kids vegetables. A good mom avoids fast food. A good mom is aware of the budget when she's making meals or whatever it is. Just get it all out. Dump it out. So much of our shoulds around any topic, but I think around feeding specifically are largely subconscious. And we may think that we don't have a whole lot of shoulds, but when you start writing them down, they are there. And then after you sort of get them out and you can look at them, that's when you start asking yourself, why do I believe this? Where did this come from? Is And for a lot of us, that will be family of origin. It will be like cultural media messages around clean eating or, you know, a lot of, I remember as a brand new mom, Pinterest had just come out. And so that was an interesting time to be a brand new mom. And I remember kind of going through Pinterest and seeing all of these like accounts about real food. And it's wild to me now that I had never been exposed to that movement before that time. And it honestly was, I was like, what? Like, am I supposed to feel bad for feeding my child a granola bar? Like there's, there's moms out there that don't do that. And like, if my food isn't real, quote unquote, does that mean that it's bad? It was like introduced to all of these new ideas around what good feeding is. And as a brand new mom, that was not a time of my life that I needed more influences telling me how I should be doing things. I mean, I spiraled in, not just because of that, but for a lot of reasons, I kind of spiraled into a dark depression in that phase of my life. But so you're getting all of these shoulds out and you're asking yourself, where did they come from? And that's when you can start making conscious decisions about whether or not you want to keep them. Is there a part of the inventory process or the edit process that you're also including your partner, if you have Mm -hmm. one, in these conversations? Because I certainly feel like... I had unsaid without having a conversation come into my marriage and raising a family with this idea of what my husband expected around mealtimes mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And I can like easily put those on the list. But when it's time to maybe edit those out, it's harder to just feel like I can do that uh, in a silo by myself. It's so funny, Megan, that you said I thought you were taking it in a different direction. So I think that there might be a dual reason to pull in your partner because I thought you were going to say your partner had ideas about how to feed the kids. There's also probably true. (laughs) I didn't I didn't have ideas about what Mike expected from me at all. But I was like, oh, he clearly has ideas about what the kids should be eating. And actually, I would say that's still our one little sticking point Mm. is that like I've done a lot of this work and I don't think he has. And I also don't think like I don't know that he needs to like it's not as deep for him. But then he'll say still say things like, oh, my God, this kid and all this processed foods. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm trying not to think about it that way. And he's like, well, but like, isn't that what it is? And like, we'll still get into a little thing about it. 
Yeah. I think that is so real. And one of the categories that I often give women, and I, I'm going to create a worksheet for your listeners. I just decided that on, ah, on the spot. Okay. We'll, Amazing. We'll do a little like, we'll do a little download where I can get even more specific on some categories. Cause that's the other thing is sort of when you have an inventory process and you don't have categories, it can feel really broad. So I'll give you some categories in this worksheet about like, what does your partner believe about this? What do you, what did your family yes. of origin tell you about so this? So helpful. But 100%, when I teach this concept live to groups of women, the expectations of their partner is a huge part of the shoulds that are in their closet. And sometimes it's like perceived expectations that they've never actually even talked to their partner about, but they think their partner wants from them and they're harboring all of this resentment about it. And I remember a woman telling me that she had, she and her partner had decided that she would be a stay-at-home mom. And so she felt like it was her responsibility as a stay-at-home mom to have a hot dinner on the table, homemade five days a week, because that is what her partner expected of her. And I pushed back and I said, has he actually said that to you? Yeah. Or did you somewhere along the line mm. think that you figured out that you know what he wants? And she said, well, he hasn't actually said that, but I, but I do know that's what he wants. And I said, OK, well, go home and have a conversation. OK. And she emailed me later and she said it was so eye opening. I asked him and talked to him about it in a connected time where I wasn't like defensive or anything else. And he said, of course, I don't expect you to have a hot homemade meal five days a week. I do love when there is a plan for dinner. So when I get home, there's a plan. So, but if that's takeout or that's pancakes or pizza or whatever, great. But like, it's just really stressful for me when I come home at 6 p.m. and there's no plan and we're scrounging around. And so like we can work together to make the plan or if you totally want to take it on to make the plan, that's fine. But what would be helpful for me is for there to be a plan, whether or not it's homemade. I mean, that is a very different expectation than a homemade meal five days a week. And it oh just took gosh. like having that conversation to sort of sort that out. Stacy, it's getting warmer and the weather has me so ready for a wardrobe update, but I want it to be for the long haul without spending a fortune. Quince is your place. It's not easy to get quality pieces that you can count on to last without investing a ton of money. But at Quince, I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I love the pieces I bought from Quince last year, too. I wear my linen pants nonstop. I'm so impressed with what I get for the price, which is 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Which means it's time to snag their 100% washable silk skirts and camis that I've been eyeing. And don't forget, Quince has the chicest accessories for great prices. Get warm weather ready with us and Quince. Go to quince.com slash D-I-J-F-Y for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash D-I-J-F-Y short for didn't I just feed you. This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard and choosing a formula was, well, 
also hard. We're thrilled to be working with ByHeart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is ByHeart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. ByHeart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once upon a time, the Greek myths helped us understand the world and our place within it. They still do. Zeus, we have finished your weapons. Thunderbolts, just as I saw in my vision. Whoa, that almost hit me. Need to improve my aim. To not hit me, right? Live from Mount Olympus spins these ancient tales for today's tweens and their grown-ups. Zeus, king of the gods, command that you listen to live from Mount Olympus, wherever you get your podcasts. And you know what's so interesting, too? I think that sometimes we get mad at our partners because if someone is operating, like if I'm operating on the assumption that you want five, you know, home cooked meals every night and I'm delivering that. Yeah, cool. Like, like, I'll take it. You know what I mean? And then we think that that's what they expect when in actuality, we've created that expectation that really so much more of what we struggle with comes from ourselves. Mm. And I think that's what's so interesting about this inventory step is that we really create an opportunity for ourselves and also sometimes for us and our partners or us and our kids to really look at that. Is this something that's expected of me or is it just coming from my sense of what it means to be a good partner? Mm -hmm. And I do have women sometimes say, like, I had the conversation and that is what my partner expects. Sure. And that's where I'd say that's when you start having conversations, because just because it's what your partner expects of you doesn't mean that you have to do it. You can have ownership over your life and you can say, I know that's what you would prefer, but that doesn't work for me. So let's find a compromise. I remember my husband one time telling me I, in the beginning of my motherhood, I was a full-time stay-at-home parent. And he told me one day that he really did not want the kids watching any TV. And I said to him, well, when you're the stay-at-home parent, you can make that call. But until then, I'm the one who's with them all day long. And there are times when I need a break and TV is going to be happening. And he said, you're right. Absolutely. Because I have a wonderful partner. I know not everybody would be so willing to just say you're right that quickly. But I think we need to stand up for our own realities and say, I know that's what you want, but that doesn't work for me. Let's find a different way to feed our family in a way that works for all of us. 
Is that the perfect segue into the edit step? Because is that part of editing, especially when we're talking about things that are not physical? Is there like the level of communication like, okay, I'm taking this out of the inventory Mm -hmm. and this is what it looks like for us? Yes. So the edit step is where you get really concrete about what stays and what goes. That's where you have those conversations. Sometimes those conversations are with yourself where you're kind of coaching yourself and saying, it's okay to let this go and here's why. Sometimes those conversations are with other people that are impacted by your decision, like your family, your kids, if they're old enough to help with meals, you know, your partner. But you're basically, I always encourage moms to open your mind to all of the possibilities for feeding your family in this step. Like, so you've realized that somewhere along the line, you decided that, home-cooked meals were what good moms do. And maybe that's because you come from a family of origin where your mom did that a lot. And you're deciding you're going to let that go because it doesn't work for you, at least not seven days a week. What are all of the options? Let's get crazy here. Just write them all down, brainstorm all, because feeding your family is necessary. I mean, I'm talking like put the craziest stuff on there. So then you see that you have options. Like, Okay, for the month of December, we are going to eat cereal every single night. We are going to do takeout every single night. I'm going to hire a personal chef. I'm going to do a meal planning service or kit. I'm going to have the kids cook every single night, and it's going to be mac and cheese and ramen. That's actually a possibility. And so once you start brainstorming all of the possibilities, that's when you start to see, I have options, I have choices, and it's Like, I actually don't want to take that option of mac and cheese every single night. And so it's no longer I have to do this. It's like I choose to because these other options aren't what I want. I actually don't want to do takeout every single night, but I could. Like, that is an option, but I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing most moms will come to some halfway where they'll say, okay, we're going to do a home-cooked meal two days a week. And then we're going to do takeout one night or whatever, some mix of all of the options. But just allowing yourself to brainstorm and open your mind to all the possibilities really like it gives it like gives you practice with that muscle of believing that you have a choice. Because so often in motherhood, anything we resent in motherhood, we think we have no choice. And that's not true. We do have choices. I love what you're saying. It's bringing me back to, I have a background in child development and worked for a lot, uh, many years in a creative industry, children's television, children's media. And we always started brainstorm meetings, reminding everybody with this theory of creativity that believes that brainstorming should have no limits Mm. and that you never judge an idea right away. So even if you know an idea is absolutely freaking impossible, (laughs) you don't say that. Like you don't say, well, that's impossible. You just let every idea come out Mm -hmm. because even having the bad ideas on the page or on the board are what help you, what help create the momentum almost to the good ideas. Right. Because Everything has a kernel of something else or something might spark, you know, a bad idea might spark a thought in a different way in someone else's brain. You just have to let it all flow. And then that's where your best ideas come from. 
So I love this. I think it's great because it's not just like talking about possibility and empowering yourself. It's also just like this is how you can be creative. And in motherhood, a lot of times we just need creative solutions. Mm -hmm. Like we are just doing too much. When the solutions we have aren't working for us, time to get creative, roll up our sleeves and like what are other solutions? Mm -hmm. I love that. I have a question before we get into the idea of incorporating joy into this process, which is you're doing that. Maybe you're doing this one, this process one time and it's like very big. You're inventorying, you're editing, you're finding room for joy. Then do you encourage the women that you help to also do this check in again on a regular basis? Because I could imagine that. For some of the things that are very deeply rooted in our inventory, it's hard to let those go and Mm -hmm. not slip back into those old ways of thinking. So is there a sort of cadence to checking in on this process? Yeah, well, I mean, I wish that you could just organize your closet once and never have to organize it again. But (laughs) that's not been my experience. (laughs) Although I will say that after doing the big declutter with my friend, the professional, it's much easier. I still have mm-hmm. to go back and refresh. And there's times when things get out of control in my closet. But because we set up some systems in there and I kind of yeah. know the skills, like it's I never have to go back to like square one again as much. Like it's just easier. But of course, like clutter gets back into my closet and I have to say like, all right, let's inventory this again. Let's like get back yeah. to. And it's similar with this process of of shoulds, whether that's around feeding or anything else, you can spend an hour getting this really dialed in and it can work really well for your family for a season, whatever plan you come up with. And then you may find that it's like not working anymore or the shoulds are sneaking back in. As far as if there's a regular cadence to that, for sure, if you're an organized person, which I am not, um, you could like set reminders where it's like once a quarter, I inventory how our food planning how our meal times, how all of it is going, like put a reminder in your calendar. For me, I don't have any sort of a regular check-in like that. I recognize when I start, my trigger is mom guilt. So when I start to feel heavy and weighed down again around any topic, that's like my little indicator that, okay, it's time for a declutter because clearly the shoulds are sneaking back in and I need to like do this work again and ask myself, where did this should come from? Does it actually fit me? Does it bring me joy? What do I want to do with it? What are my options? And kind of get back to a place where I'm generally feeling pretty good in my motherhood and how I am caring for my family and the care tasks of day-to-day living. Which is a great segue to talking about joy and that piece of it. So talk to us about that. I mean, you know, you explained creating space And now what do we fill it with? I think sometimes that stumps us. Yeah. Well, the make room for joy is the fun step, but especially around food, depending on what all is going on in your home around food, it can sometimes not feel very joyful. And I want to, I want to point everyone to an episode that you both, you were both just guests on my show recently talking about food traditions. And I feel like anybody who wants to dive more into this idea of making room for joy, go back and listen to it's episode 329. I guess are Stacey and Megan talking about food traditions. And we kind of talked about this because food is really actually quite difficult in my home. I have a son who is a severely picky eater. 
Um, I feel some sadness and guilt around that where I feel like maybe it's my fault because I have a history with eating disorders and did I create this? And so like joy isn't really like an emotion that I associate with meals at our home. Well, I'm working on it anyway. And you two are helping me with your advice. So I think like taking into consideration kind of all that context of like maybe right now meals don't feel very joyful, but like what is a small thing that I can do to start to make it feel a little bit more joyful, whether that's like the ambiance, like we have fun music playing or we light a candle or we have like one day a week where we do dessert before dinner and the kids are jazzed about that because my kids aren't usually very excited about any any main dishes um, because of the picky eating issue. and But they are excited about desserts. So maybe yeah. <laughs> we sort of like bring that in one day a week. Or I know um, in the episode on 3 and 30, Megan talked about kind of having like a fast food day of the week that the kids know and they're looking forward to. It's like a fun fast food tradition. That's an idea. Like, so you can just get really creative around what sounds like fun to me with a task that for a lot of moms, I think, is more associated with drudgery, feeding our families. Like, how can we bring some levity and joy and spontaneity back to this? It's such a central thing in family life. We have to eat. So, like, how can we bring a little bit of joy back to it? And I really love how you created space there for people who are grappling with whatever the issue might be, something that is an obstacle to food itself being joy. You know, you can think about opportunities around mealtime. It doesn't have to be food itself. If food is loaded for you, whether it's about your relationship with food or your kid's relationship with food, like what can you do around mealtime? Because that just starts the ball rolling. You know, you start to make mealtime a little bit more joyful with music with candles, with some giggles instead of fighting. Maybe fighting happens later in the dinner, but you've kicked things off on a good foot. That gives you some momentum in a positive direction that can be really meaningful and really healing for everybody at the table. I really latched on, Rachel, to this language that you said, how can I make this fun for me? And I think that that's really important. Sometimes we are so focused on like loving our families and taking care of them that we forget that like we're the person doing the work and we can make the process enjoyable for us. And yes, it's all the things, the the candles, the music, the dancing in the kitchen, but it can also be like a topper that you put on the meal that everyone else love. like everyone else loves the base meal, but you get something that's a little bit for you. And I think that's like a really important reminder for moms is that like, yes, we're doing this for our family, but we are also taking care of ourselves in this way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and sometimes just making a meal that you love, even if not everybody else does. And that means more leftovers for you. You know, like, I, I, yes, I totally agree, Megan. How can I make this fun for me is just as important as for the rest of the family. Tell us real quick where everyone can find out more about your Decluttering Your Motherhood audio courses. Yeah, so I have this process outlined in great detail in an audio course, which I created for podcast listeners. If you like to consume content in this format, you will like my audio course. It's actually all on a private podcast feed. So if you're a podcast listener, you'll love it. 
And you can go to 3in30podcast.com slash declutter to read more about that and to purchase it. There's also a workbook that goes along with it so that you can go through the steps. And I am going to create a worksheet specific to feeding. And I'll link that at 3in30podcast.com slash D-I-J-F-Y. So if people kind of want to walk through this process that we talked about in the episode and, and get a small taste of the full course, then they can download that worksheet there. Amazing. Thank you. Rachel, one quick follow-up question. We would love for you to talk to us about a recipe that either you cook for your family or you cook for yourself that brings you food joy. Mm. Okay. Well, as I mentioned, this is kind of a hard one for me, but I'm going to say the recipe that I made last night brings me food joy because it's so fast. It's so easy. That brings me food joy. And (laughs) my kids love it. And my kids don't love very many things. That's the best. So I came home from the grocery store last night with the groceries. And that's like the worst when you get home and you know you still have to make dinner. And it was like 7.20 p.m. And I still had to make dinner. And my son said, what's for dinner? And I said, the... I don't like the name of this recipe. It's called guiltless Alfredo, which I'm like, you shouldn't have guilt even if you're eating regular Alfredo. Yes. But it's from the Our Best Bites cookbook. It's called guiltless Alfredo um, here, but it is so fast. And my son, when I said what we were having, he was like, yes, I was hoping you would say that. I've been wanting that all week. And that like brought me such joy. And I whipped it together in 15 minutes and I felt like, a boss that I fed my family. And so that is a recipe that brings me joy. Amazing. I also love Sarah of Our Best Bites. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like the content she creates. So I love that there's a tie in there. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a total win recipe for parents. So Megan. Stacy. (laughs) We have a lot to talk about. Okay, I didn't mean to surprise you at the top of the episode, but there's a good reason why I revealed in this moment here today (laughs) that I'm actually a meal planner too. Because I think that there are so many different ways to meal plan. And you mentioned at the top of the episode that we're going to be coming out with a meal planning tool really, really soon. And I really believe that it took the two of us like thinking about it professionally, but then thinking about the very different ways that we come into meal planning and where where meal prepping fits to really come up with something that's expansive and works for everyone, even people who do not identify as a meal planner. Yes. Right? So very excited about that. And there's going to be more coming soon. But why I keep repeating that I think our conversation with Rachel is the gr- like is a great place to begin is because Rachel really broke down these three basic principles. And it makes starting to think about it. And like it's the beginning of the year. We're thinking about like you know, we're not into that new year, new you bullshit, but it is a moment of reflection for a lot of people. And if it isn't for you, that's fine too. But it is nice to think about like the systems, the assumptions, the approaches we've taken in the last year and like where we want to rejigger things. And I just really like how Rachel talks about inventory, edit, enjoy. It aligns really well 
with what you and I talk about here on Didn't I Just Feed You? So can we like dig into this a little bit in respect to meal planning specifically? Because meal planning is one of those tasks that if you can figure out how to do it in a way that works for you, which we'll help you with, but it kind of naturally takes these three steps and makes them work for you. Yes. And the other thing is that we would both say, I I shouldn't speak for you anymore, <laughs> obviously, because it's in a da- dangerous place. But if you feel overwhelmed by feeding your family, if you want to declutter any aspect of feeding your family of the ins and outs, the three meals a day plus snacks, yeah. starting with meal planning is the best place to start for most people. And we talk about this a lot personally and like also within this tool that we're creating, how even if you're standing at the fridge at five o'clock deciding what to eat, you're still meal still yes. meal planning. I agree. And like the only difference I want you to speak for me forever and never. I love speaking for each other. <laughs> but like It is the best. I agree with you. But one little, like as the person who was the obviously reluctant one to identify as a meal planner, I'd say it is the best. But if that scares you, it's just been proven over the many years that you and I have been talking to each other and doing this professionally and helping other people and fielding DMs and all of that stuff. It just proves the most effective. It really does. It's like the annoying thing that actually really works. So let's figure out a way to make it work for you guys, even if you think you can't do it or you won't do it. So this is the thing I'm super excited about using Rachel's process because I think it's going to, one, reveal parts of our own personalities, but also really hit on some of the pain points for people who might be reluctant meal planners or people who are already meal planning and it doesn't feel like it's working for them. Yeah. So let's start with inventorying some shoulds. And we don't have to go in, in order, but I think I used to think I had to meal plan for a whole week at mm. a time. I love and it. And lock in five meals for the whole week. Yep. You don't have to do that. I used to think that you had to meal plan the entire meal. So the main, what the side would be and what the vegetable would be. I still find that useful in some seasons, but when I don't have the bandwidth to do it, it used to be that I would fall off meal planning altogether because it's like, I can't do it. But when I let go of that, should, and even just jotting down tacos, this, that, spaghetti, it doesn't seem helpful, but it always is. Yes. One of my shoulds is that I should plan something different every single week. Good one. Yeah. Really good one. One of my shoulds is that I had to be the one to come up with all the meal ideas. Ooh. Okay. I know there's more there, but I want to tease it, (laughs) tease it out. One of my shoulds was that I needed to spend a lot of time meal planning each week for it to be actually useful. One of my shoulds, and actually I carried this into din, I just feed you for a few years, was that like you love to bullet journal And like you had a whiteboard in your kitchen and like still do. Yeah. Okay. So as part of your meal planning identity, like those kinds of traditional planning tools, 
really good for you. And then I even had Mike push back a couple of times and be like, well, like if we had a tool that I could see too, blah, blah, blah. I'm not a tool person. Like I just need my little notes and my phone and I've got it and I'll find a different way to disseminate the information if I have to. But like it used to be that I should have some sort of tool that needed to be formalized and I just don't. That's amazing. Any other shoulds? One of my shoulds is that meal planning would be like all or nothing. Either mm. I'm like fully committed to meal planning for the whole week and I'm going to meal plan every meal or I just shouldn't do it at all. Yeah, I can relate to that, too. One of my shoulds also that I carried into didn't I just feed you. Maybe we do need a therapy session, Megan. Um <laughs> That to really be a meal planner, I had to do it through all these different seasons. My kids are a lot older now, and I wanted to carry an identity. And I think that was part of why I latched on to like, I'm the meal prepper. You're the meal planner. Like having categories is really like nice and neat and appealing to me. But I'm a meal planner. I declared it here today. And sometimes <laughs> I go months without meal planning. Lately, I've been doing it really, really consistently, but there have been seasons in my motherhood when I couldn't and I just didn't have the energy. But that doesn't mean I'm not a meal planner. Mm. Yes, it doesn't. I think that like really expanding an idea of what a meal planner is would help more people actually meal plan because it's so easy to be like, ah, that's not something I do or that's not something I'm good at. Yeah, and it is one of those things that's been taken over by, like, yeah. planner community, social media, and it's like, this is what it should look like. Yeah. You should have a printed calendar, and it yep. should be all filled out. And that ain't it. For most of us, yeah. it truly totally. is not. Totally. One of my shoulds, and you helped me dissolve this or work through this, is that that meal planning and meal prep had to go hand in hand and that one always went before the other. Mm, that's a really good to. one. They don't. Okay. These are a lot of shoulds. A lot of them that we really like reflected on before building our tool. But let's just talk about editing too. Yeah. Okay. So we can't we can't edit every single one of the shoulds no. that we mentioned, but I'll just hit on a couple and then maybe you can share a couple. I would say one of my biggest edits for meal planning was I stopped planning just based on like days of the week. Now I come up with like three to four dinner ideas, two lunch ideas, two or three breakfast ideas, and then I can move them around I love in the week so that like, oh, I had planned tacos tonight, but like actually something came up and I don't have the time for that. So I'm just going to move our takeout night to tonight so I can like plan my work and then work my plan, which is one of our didn't I just feed you meal planning idioms. Like I've created flexibility within my meal plan. That's such a good one. I think a lot of people will really love that and relate to that because one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we really took into consideration when creating our meal planning tool was that people would say, I know I said I wanted I was going to make tacos on Monday, but like, I don't feel like tacos. And it's like, guys, you don't yeah. have to be fixed on that. <laughs> That's okay. so real. Like, and yes. it, But it is. It's a very real thing. I totally agree with you. 
I would say that having a preconceived notion that I had to be organized in a very specific and frankly, going back to your point about like the planning community and social media, a very like aesthetic and particular way was one of my biggest edits that like knowing I could be organized in my disorganization. So my family jokes like my house is always so neat and I like the flower in the place and the, you know, like everything put away. But you can open a closet and (laughs) like sometimes it's organized. Sometimes it's an avalanche and everything will fall out. And I'm like, but I can't see it. Like I just like everything around me to look beautiful. (laughs) And then like what's behind the doors is a little bit of a mystery. So I know that part of my way sometimes is to be organized in a disorganized way. So like sometimes my meal plan is in voice memos to myself. (laughs) Sometimes it's in my little notes document. Like sometimes I carry things over and say like, oh, this was a winner. And I put it on this other sheet that I keep a running list of things that work. And sometimes I don't. But letting that be okay and like just continuing on the process, however the process looks that week, whatever works for my energy and my attitude and my whatever bandwidth I have that week, it's okay. Just keep keep doing it. Just keep doing it however it gets done has been a really big one for me. That edit, allowing that for myself was really huge in becoming really regular and committed to a practice that in the end helps me so much. Yes. Okay. I want to talk about the part, the joy part. Oh, I love this part. This part's, this part's the easiest part for me. I feel like this is the easiest part for me, but I think that's also because we are people who love food. Yeah, totally. I was going to say that. cooking. We love the process of cooking. And I wonder if it's much harder for other people. I, I agree. I was so glad that Rachel created space for people who might feel differently than us. Because this is what, we started Didn't I Just Feed You for this reason, right? Like when you get food professionals talking to people about food, sometimes the audience is self-selecting and only people who love food or are interested in cooking are gonna come to the publication and read the piece. But when you're talking to families, right? You're talking to busy parents, they have to feed their kids. So not everybody who's coming to your podcast or your article is there voluntarily. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And like making sure that we're very aware of the fact that like all of our advice and tips comes from a place of loving cooking and food enough to make it our profession has been a very, has been a a North Star for you and me because there are so many food professionals who write to parents and they're like, and isn't this fun? And like have the people like, so no, hell no, you're going to stir your risotto yeah. for 25 minutes. <laughs> like, and then good. I immediately X out the page. Goodbye. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So I'm really happy that Rachel made space for people who might feel differently than us about food. But for moi, part of the joy for me is it's very easy for me to lean into cooking what I want to cook for myself. I have older kids. I'm not as anxious about what they eat or they don't eat. They like spicier things. They're fairly adventurous. So like that part is easy and like really feeds my soul because I love food so much and I love cooking and eating. But also I'm going to say that like 
letting go of some of my shoulds so that I would become consistent with meal planning was also a recognition of the joy that I get when I don't have to panic at the last minute. I hate that. I hate being at the fridge at 6 p.m. and being like, oh, what am I going to cook? Even though I have the skills to riff and make a delicious meal, during the work week, that is not what brings me joy. And I think I carried around a little bit of feeling like, but I can and I should. And like, isn't that part of the joy of being a food professional? Sure. When I have all the time in the world and I haven't worked all day and I haven't like schlepped this one to the dentist and picked this one up at practice. Like as a busy working mom, Monday through Friday, like I just, I realized that I got joy just from like being a ninja in the kitchen going to the kitchen at the very last minute because I'm always working until the last minute, knowing what I'm going to make, making it, eating it, let's go. Done. Check. I love that so much. And I think that's like the practical thing. We're talking, we're looping back to this idea of like, if you're already overwhelmed, taking the time to create some space is actually going to make you feel less overwhelmed, which is its own kind of joy. Total pleasure. So what about your joy? I mean, there's lots of like very fluffy things I can share with you about like how when my kids were young, being able to like bake with them and add sprinkles really helped me have a lot of food joy in in the slog of that season. But the most like very real and very didn't I just feed you thing was figuring out fast food Wednesdays. Like, yeah, that has been lately a big thing. Yeah. Yes, I know I've shared it. We talked about it with Rachel, but that's more of like a euphemism for a greater thing, which is like planning the ease, putting the ease on the calendar and saying, I don't have to cook every single night, having that permanent permission slip to give my kids their own kind of food joy too, because my 11-year-old, oh, she's 12 now, my 12-year-old is very into fast food. She thinks that is fun. That's like peak dining for her. And so to be able to give that to her on a seasonal basis when we have sports practice is such a win for both our time budget, our financial budget, but also it does a weird like healing thing for me and my relationship with food and how I felt about what it meant to serve my family fast food. Yeah, this goes back to what Rachel was saying. That's why I do think that our conversation with Rachel really feels like a great first step to kind of question some of your stuff and then start to apply it in all these different ways across your motherhood, across how you feed your family, including meal planning. Yes. So Rachel promised us a worksheet that you can download at 3and30podcast.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y. And then we really want to make sure that you guys are signed up for our newsletter so that you can be the first to know about our very exciting meal plan. I am so excited about it. You guys, and that survey too, if you're at links anyway, didn't I just feed you.com backslash links and like you really care, like you're curious about this product. Maybe you're someone who purchased our back to school guide or our make ahead holiday handbook. You can give us feedback on that. Do you want more stuff like that? What topics do you want us to tackle? Do you want us to be in person in your ears, live on video? Tell us. 
Also, don't forget to follow us. We are at Didn't I Just Feed You on Instagram. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next time. Leave us a rating or review and make sure to give it five stars and leave an epic comment. Do it. Don't forget to sign up for their newsletter, too. Bye.